0: Hey
1: folks, this is Jeff Fry, former Major League Baseball player and your certified hitting guru. Welcome to the Shigon Podcast. Today I have a very special guest. He is an expert in... The field of biomechanics and anatomical—easy anatom, for me to say anatomical function—and uh, I'm very excited. Uh, first, I'm going to throw it back to our producer Dave D'Agostino.
0: Tell us about our sponsors, and then we'll get back to our guest. Yeah, and sorry about the music. I was trying to get it to the she Gone" part—that's the part we love—and my DJ skills are lacking today. But I want to just thank our subscribers, sixty-five thousand as of this morning, and growing. We appreciate your support. As of last week, we were nominated for Baseball Podcast of the Year by Sports Podcast Group and the Webbys. I didn't make that up. It's called the Webbys. We appreciate the nomination. I promised our, our hosts it's for all the shows. If we do win, we will not have to give back our awards like ESPN had to do. Um, to our newest marketing partner, Millions, with our podcast reaching 65,000 now, 74 countries, we brought on millions to handle all of our sponsorship, our big uh, tagline sponsor. So thank you for your support. And of course, Jaw Bats. I know Tanner's been using it the M110, and I was pumped up when I saw you double off the wall, Jeff, and Fantasy Camp down there using your Jaw Bats. So make sure you give your code to the audience so they can get a percentage off at checkout when they buy either Great Maple Bats. I think Tanner's got the M110. Do you know what model you got? Yeah, it's a C two seventy one, I believe, and that wasn't off the wall. But I appreciate you saying that. Oh, I, I I dubbed it a little bit, so it's off the wall now. We'll say it's off the wall. <laughs> but yeah. uh, turn it back over to you. What's your code? You is your she gone? She gone. Yeah, code she gone. She gone at checkout will get you that discount on on Frito here. So with that, I'll turn it back over to you. You got a great guest today, and you are the back end of a quadruple header today. So you're hitting cleanup today. Nice, nice. I hit cleanup one time in the big leagues.
1: Nice. no one got hurt i was uh, one for four
0: nice okay
1: anyway our guest today is jason coloran jason was a collegiate athlete when his baseball career ended due to a devastating overuse injury this life-changing event inspired his 20-year devotion to athlete development a career in biomechanics and opening elite edge in atlanta georgia as a biomechanics consultant he accepted Assesses his clients for neur- neuromuscular and musculos—man, I can't say this stuff—musculoskeletal dysfunction to help maximize performance and reduce injuries. His experience and vast knowledge in anatomical function led him to develop the kinetic arm, the first and only dynamic arm stabilizer designed for throwing and sw- and swinging athletes. That is proven. Sorry, I messed up here.
0: Where's Jason? I need Jason. Proven to offload
2: dynamic arm. dynamic arm stress while throwing yeah. and swinging.
1: Man, I can't even read Jason. Hey, man, I appreciate you coming on here today. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Jason Collaren. Hey,
2: thanks so much for having me.
1: Yeah, and I, uh, Dave, I I didn't really know Jason until probably six weeks ago, and I was at the ABCA in Dallas, or actually in Grapevine, Texas, and. Um, I had seen enough and I was headed out to the parking garage. And this guy uh, said something to me in the parking garage. We were trying to, I think, cash out for a $25 fee for parking in the garage. And uh, he introduced himself. And I'd heard of the kinetic arm, but I'm not sure I'd ever met Jason. And we got to know each other a little bit at the Texas High School Baseball Coaches Association convention in uh, Round Rock, Texas, where we were both speakers. And uh, I got to sample his uh, kinetic arm sleeve, and, and he he gave me one to use at Red Sox Fantasy Camp, which I hadn't been able to throw a baseball in four months, and I was really worried. Trot Nixon asked me if I was going to be able to throw BP, and I wasn't sure. Went down there, put that sleeve on, and I threw 21 innings of coach pitch, three separate games, and my arm was perfectly fine didn't hurt at all. And I, no question that I would not been able to do that without that sleeve.
0: When's the last time you threw that much? I can't remember. I mean, I, I hurt
1: my, my shoulder probably four months ago. And every time I raise it up my arm up, it pops. And I was just like, I don't know if I can throw. And I put that thing on and sampled it at the booth they had in, in round rock. And uh, he gave me, was kind enough to give me one. And I, I used it. And now, I mean, I swear by this thing and uh, I'm, really looking forward to uh to letting jason talk about this how he came up with this design and uh it's got to be i mean excuse me it's got to be something that a lot of people um, that haven't been able to throw are using now and hopefully it prevents injuries i
2: can't wait for you to tell us about it jason oh thanks guys for having me um yeah it was great meeting you i remember the uh just before checking out or the uh, leaving the parking garage with that $25 parking fee. And then um, we had some of the guys that, uh, you know, you've had some discussions with come over and try to give my wife a hard time with the booth and um, didn't go too well for them. Uh, but yeah, it was a great meeting. And then we enjoyed we enjoyed listening to your, your speech with the colonel. Um, so the, the Kinetic Arms has been incredible for um, helping to prevent injuries. Um, I was injured from 11 till mid 20s every year. You know, I did everything my coaches said. Um, had a strength coach responsible for ripping my pec off the bone. Um, and baseball is just so incredibly far behind, and we've just got to do a better job to protect these kids. Um, so after baseball, you know, I, I was done with it. I didn't want anything to do with it because I I always outworked everybody, but I was always injured. I did everything I was told. Um, And then i was you know helping stroke victims regain function after a decade of you know not using certain limbs uh getting traumatic brain injury victims walking again when they were told they'd never walk again and in my presentation i showed uh my brother and then uh, i started getting more kids coming into my office that um you know that had some bad elbow and shoulder pain and i thought i don't want them to have to go through what i went through because really i owe all of my success to baseball you know it kept me on track had a, a pretty tough upbringing Um, so I, I know where everything attaches, you know, internally, I know where we all know where peak stress happens. Uh, so I just thought, well, I could develop kind of like an external muscular system to offload that stress externally. So it took about three years to come up with the first good working prototype. And, um, we launched the first ABCA in 2020, and it's just been incredible since then to hear the the feedback from the athletes, coaches, parents, and. And a lot of support from you know the medical community as far as the physical therapists and orthopedic surgeons.
1: Yeah, I know for me, and I don't really know what my injury is to so my shoulder. I'm kind of afraid to find out, but I was pretty sure I wasn't going to be able to throw BP. And when I put that thing on, and I felt that the support that it gave me, and I tried to play catch, and next thing you know, I was throwing. And I felt like I was throwing normal, like I used to be able to throw with no pain. I was shocked and I, I I couldn't believe it. So many of the people that were there were asking me about it and, you know, I didn't have all the details, but I know there's a lot of people that have contacted me in the last week or so since I started posting that stuff, wondering, you know, where can they get one or, or, you know, does it really work and all that. I've got so many people that have reached
2: out to me that I have to get in touch with you. That's incredible. Yeah. And we had, um, David Segui called and, um, you know, John Kruk messaged as well, asking about, uh, if it would help for golf. So yeah, we, we had, um, we've had a lot of people reach out. So thanks again for, for giving it a try. People think that it's not possible, but, um, it's just like an external muscular system.
1: Yeah. And Trot Nixon, I mean, I know you, you uh, I got you in touch with Trot and Trot's uh, mm-hmm. amazing guy. I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time at my first ever Red Sox fantasy camp and Trot and the guys were just man. These guys are so funny. It's almost like we were back in the clubhouse joking with each other. And and uh, but I know Trot was very interested in it. And I, I know you mentioned that David Segui. So you know, any exposure I can help give you and, and you know, get some of us old guys able to throw some BP to our kids or whatever. Man, I, I think
2: it's a it's a no brainer to be honest. Yeah, thank you. And it's been that's been a, a really. A really incredible piece, too, is knowing that, you know, dads can throw with their kids again or whoever's throwing batting practice, you know, even if um, they injured their arm in the past, there's a good chance they can put it on and keep throwing. And that's what that's a big problem that that we have with baseball today is, you know, when these when these, um, you know, social media. I don't know if you call them clowns or experts, as as they say, um, you know, when they injure these kids. They have that injury for the rest of their life. You know, sometimes we're talking permanent structural damage. We all know baseball players that you know they stopped playing a while ago, but um, they're not able to do things because of elbow or shoulder pain. Whether it's just working out or doing things around the house, so I think I think um, this injury epidemic needs to be taken a lot more seriously than it is. Yeah. Jeff, do you mind if I ask Jason a question?
0: Sure. Hey, Jay, so I, I love what you're doing, and anytime Jeff promotes a, a product like that, I take it serious because he doesn't. He, uh, he doesn't just throw his name out there for anybody. What are some common things you're seeing? You mentioned some of the gurus online. What are some common, you don't have to say names, but some common things you're seeing, some themes, we have a huge audience of parents. We're, we're on 74 mm-hmm. countries that they can look out, look at that are leading kids, adults into your, into, to you basically to, to put this external apparatus on.
2: Yeah. And that's a great question. And, um, at my facility in atlanta i get a lot of injured athletes from these popular programs and i see their remote training programs i get guys that have gone and paid thousands of dollars you know for this motion capture stuff um so we've got to sit back and think you know supposedly we have the smartest doctors the most advanced technology you got a motion capture app on your phone then why is the injury rate still going up so i think we're we're looking in all the wrong places and we're trying to rely on technology and those are you know they're pretty cool pieces but They'll show you how things are moving, but they have no idea why. And when I talk with, you know, I've taught for uh, DPTs and PTs, orthopedic surgeons, um, but going back to these, uh, you know, gurus on, on social media, they don't understand just basic anatomical function. So like when we look at what Teacher Man does, this was part of my presentation at the THS BCA. I mean, no human on earth can rotate their wrists and make contact with a baseball like that. So it, it just doesn't transfer. And then we look at, um, you know, some of this water bag silliness, it's just, it's very, it's very basic. Um, if you understand, you know, how the body functions and how to apply force, but the problem is they're making things up and where we have the absence of, you know, knowledge, we have the presence of injury. So that's a, it's a really big concern because they don't know how to apply force with these athletes. So they, they chase these new shiny things like fishing lures. Um, And just, I mean, you could use elastomers or tubing and be very precise with how you're applying that force. I know there's a a certification course out there called uh, Medicine Ball Mastery. And it's like uh, balls are round, some bounce, some don't. They have mass. I mean, there you go. Now you're a certified Medicine Ball Mastery expert. But they've got to stop making these things up and then talking about fascia and biotensegrity. We know everything's attached i mean you may as well talk about bone density because that's how you can you know use those levers to transfer force but when you watch these guys so for the parents i'd say question everything whatever comes out of that that instructor that coach's mouth ask them questions and if they get offended and start getting loud then that's not your guy and if they can't answer the question right there on the spot i encourage every athlete i train um you know everyone that's sent from a physical therapist or orthopedic surgeon ask as many questions as possible because there's nothing that I'm going to have you do that I can't answer in depth as far as you'd want to nerd out on it.
1: Yeah. That, that's interesting that, uh, um, you happen to mention one of my favorite people, um, uh, little Richie, Richard Shank, the teacher man who, uh, you know, anytime he's questioned, he just blocks you and then, uh, you know, moves on. <laughs> and then he, he creates, uh, I guess, fake accounts to see what you're saying about him. But that, that is what I see a lot in the social media world with the the hitting and fielding and pitching instruction is that it seems to me that most of the experts or the so called experts never had any success playing the sport and they want to um, kind of go after all of us who did and then say that we didn't know what we were doing and this whole concept that I think the thing that drives me the most crazy of all of it Jason, is this feel versus real idea and that all of us professional athletes uh, who had a lot of success at the game didn't really understand what we were doing and that we can slow down video and, and show you what you were doing because you didn't really know what you were doing. And we're going to teach everybody to do what you were actually doing, not what you thought you were doing.
2: Yeah, I think it's absolutely ridiculous that, um, that they have these, these just egos that they come up with. And, um, just like what you're saying, I mean, obviously you played at a high level. We got guys that played at a high level and they'll say, you know, keep it simple. And then we look at uh, the guys whacking the pool noodles and using the propellers and things like that. Um, they're just trying to overcomplicate it because they don't understand just the basics of it. So I think that the more creative these instructors are getting, the less actual knowledge they have in that field.
1: Yeah, and the number of followers you have on social media doesn't mean you're an expert. <laughs> and I You see- can pay for those. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what's funny is people say, well, you call yourself the certified hitting guru. And I'm like, well, these people haven't been following very long because they don't know that I've just made that up as a joke because of all the other people I see on social media who are the hitting doctor and the pitching doctor and all these different things. And I research these people and sit and notice that almost every single one of them had zero success in the game. But now they're the expert. And I'm sure you run into that with a lot of these uh These throwing experts and these guys, these velocity training people that are teaching kids to, you know, to, to run, do the running guns and throw as hard as they can into a net and do these weighted ball exercises that, you know, before their bodies are even developed. I'm sure those are a lot of the people that are coming to see you with their injuries.
2: Yeah, there's a lot. And I think I think what's really lacking in in baseball, I mean, it's the fitness industry is absolutely it's, it's ridiculous. Um, It's like the wild west. There's no barriers to entry and, and baseball is just as bad, if not worse. So there needs to be some accountability. So that's why, um, you know, we really like what what you're doing and what some others are doing with trying to bring about some accountability. And to me, it's a lack of integrity with these guys. And then, you know, we see these popular velocity boosting programs, um, you know, on their Twitters, they've got pinned tweets and on their website, they brag about how many guys they got signed what about the guys that were injured? So don't tell half the story. Don't sell us on. And like I said, in my presentation, you know, every now and then even a blind squirrel finds a nut. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, just cause they're the loudest to get the most attention, but I get a lot of injured guys from these programs. Some of them that blew their arm out a week to two after leaving because they don't have an accurate assessment. Um, they have a very limited understanding of how things actually function Then they want you to strip down to your underwear, you know, put some markers on and throw as hard as you can. Um, it's kind of like you know, not knowing what kind of shape your car is in, taking it to the racetrack and just driving the hell out of it as hard as you can and let's see what happens. But it, it's unfortunate and it's, it's sad being the person who has to tell them there's nothing else that can be done, all because they wanted to chase velocity. They saw some pinned tweets. Um, and look at some of these track records, too, on what teams have signed pitchers from these programs, and you'll see a lot of them don't last. A lot of them blow their arm out right away because they ramped them up too soon just to post about him on social media or get him ready for a scout day, you know, when it wasn't really that important.
1: Yeah. And one of those programs that uh, I know that um, Shohei Otani worked out at this past off season, and, you know, they'd like to advertise that these big league superstars work out at their facility, but when they get hurt, nobody seems to say anything about it. And so Shohei goes out and um, now he needs another Tommy or he already had another tommy john surgery and how do we know why why uh he injured himself why why is somebody who was already at the top of his game going to some of these facilities to train in the off season and do all this pitch design and all these different stuff and they end up getting hurt so, so, but nobody has any accountability when they when uh, these guys come up hurt
2: yeah there's no accountability and what what's really interesting um there's uh I think you call him a sports scientist named Gary McCoy. Uh, I've known him for about a year now. I had lunch with him out when I was meeting with some uh, teams at spring training. And he talked about when Shohei was coming over and they were just going to have him pitch and not hit. And uh, Gary said, well, I think that would be a mistake. I think because he's doing, you know, one explosive rotation from the right then one explosive from the left. I think that's what's keeping him healthy. Um, So that was – it's interesting to hear that and a lot of of behind-the-scenes stories – but yeah, it it would be it would be great to see a list of, you know, who these guys train and how long they last. I think that that's that's definitely necessary, but to see these weighted ball programs for kids, I mean the fact that kids are throwing a 5-ounce ball the same weight as an an adult is throwing a baseball. I mean there's a reason they're not using 30-ounce bats. Because as far as the muscular system and, you know, skeletal system, it's it's too much. Um my I had nephews come in town from Australia and they do uh uh, they hit off a pitching machine in the games until 10 years old and the games go a lot faster. The kids get a lot more practice, a lot more reps, and their arms also, you know, aren't getting wrecked like ours are.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, you got nine-year-olds, you watch, watch the uh, little league world series and we got these 12, 11 and 12 year olds that are throwing 70% breaking balls. <laughs> I remember our coaches in little league said we weren't allowed to throw a breaking ball we were like 13 years old. But now you see these kids because Everybody wants to try and win those games and win those championships. And they don't care the long-term effects that comes from these kids snapping off curveballs and what it does to their elbow before they're even developed.
2: Yeah. And a big part is uh, just overuse in general. I mean, I've, I've had coaches that I ran into 20 years later and they said, yeah, we, you know, we definitely overused you. And it's, um, you know, I always say with coaches, I know, I know a lot of our dads volunteering and just looking to help out, but, I mean, the road to injury is paved with great intentions. And that's, that's something that coaches need to understand, even though you, you think you're doing what's best for those kids, it may not be. And again, it you know, it's like the wild west with no barriers to entry in the fitness industry is an absolute disaster. Um, and baseball is just as bad, if not worse. So there's, there's gotta be some kind of accountability and credibility. And then when we talk about kids, if you look at the, um, the little league pitch program that's put on by, or it's, uh you know, put together by Major League Baseball and ASMI. What we saw Baseball Perspectives showed us last year at one point, elbow and shoulder injuries were up 44% in Major League Baseball compared to the previous year, and that's who we think is going to protect our children? That's Hmm. absolutely ridiculous. They can can put together all the studies they want, um, collect all the data they want, but in the end, what are you actually doing to make a difference?
1: Yeah, it seems like uh, they're the exact people we don't want making these rules for kids and how many pitches they should throw. And uh, another thing I want to ask you about that I see a lot is, and it ha- it's a lot with the, uh, those bags filled with water. I don't even know what they are, what their actual term is called, but uh, <clears throat> I see people doing uh, like baseball functions with these deals. And, and these deals look to me like they're, you know, could probably be useful when training core muscles and things for, exercises like that but now I see people are trying to combine these things with actual like baseball mechanics and like a guy standing on a mound holding this thing filled with water and going through his pitching motion or, or a girl with a couple farm boards under her feet sliding back and forth swinging side to side like simulating like she's swinging a baseball bat but she's swinging this thing as like when I mean when did the, all this start where now we're going to combine baseball training with, you know, core training or whatever? Why can't we just do our core training on the side after we're done hitting in the cage?
2: Why do we have to combine them now? And it, it goes back to, um, you know, social media, giving people a voice and a presence that just shouldn't have one. Um, if you stand on anybody that wants to talk about, you know, slide board or things like that, or, you know, scissoring, I tell them, you know, stand on ice and show me how much power you can generate. So we need friction. And that's, again, that's why we wear cleats. So a product like that, um, it'd be interesting to see, you know, well, they're not going to report how many injuries there are, but I mean, when you're, when you're taking away that balance element, the more off balance you are, the less power you're going to be able to generate. And that's again, stand on ice and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about, or stand on a slide board and try that with two feet. And then with the water bags, um, when you have the, the variability of the load like that, there's no precision. So when that water splashing around and if we look at the swinging motion, when it's up, like when they're you know getting ready to swing, the water's at the bottom, so that's where the load is. And then as they go through that swinging motion, there's no resistance because gravity's just holding that water down there and then it crashes at the end. So why would we do that when we could use an elastomer, wrap it around a, a physio ball or a medicine ball and actually have a full range challenge? So then we can also look at where they're placing these water bags. And I, it's like next we're going to see them throwing water balloons and calling it arm care. It's it's that ridiculous. Um, but where they're placing the water bags up on the neck and then having them sprint and stop is it's absolutely it's disgusting. It's dangerous. And I think there needs to be some accountability. And I, I really think we're going to start to see some lawsuits coming up um, because they've they've got to be held liable for this. So when that kid's running and sprinting and you know doing a running gun with a, a water bag or flinging it around when it's on their neck, I mean, if they if they injure that cervical area, again, that's an injury, a permanent structural injury they're going to have for the rest of their life. And of course, you know the instructors, there's not going to be any accountability on their part. But it's uh, it's it's ridiculous these some of these training tools that they're coming out with. I mean, it's so simple. If you think about first of all, what is the goal of the exercise? And that's, that's what we need to step back. What is the goal of the exercise and think what tool would be best to apply force? Because if they're using just water bags, um, you know, then that's, that's one tool. Yeah. You could use it for some things if you're using just kettlebells or just dumbbells. So we need these people to understand, you know, how to properly apply force. And most of all, it needs to be safe.
1: Yeah. Have you seen, I'm sure you've seen everything,
2: but uh, I've seen this thing called the, the WEC method, I believe it's called. Yeah. And when they're swinging that, that weck stick down and then they're stopping it, what they're doing is using a motion that would be the reverse of a swing. So they should actually be swinging it the other way. So just like, you know, them playing with water bags and not understanding, you know, at end range, we're the weakest at mid range, we're the strongest. Um, and if you let that water bag or the, the weck, you know uh, what do you call it? A club. If you let those go, they fall straight down. So that's our force angle. So it's, it's very basic with, you know, force applications, just like a kettlebell, a dumbbell. So they're all mass, but the way they demonstrate using these products, and I think it's, it may be the WEC founder. uh, We saw a video of him just cranking his fingers all the way back, you know, stretching out his forearms. And it's, he has no idea what he's doing to the, you know, the integrity of that tissue. I mean, he's, he's basically going to wreck these kids. um, But it's, yeah, it blows my mind when we see these, these clubs and the way they're used. But I think water bags are. Um, honestly, I, I want to say it's, it's really disappointing to see physical therapists, especially if they have their doctorate using water bags. And I've seen that quite often. And I've taught for a lot of PTs that have their doctorate and they don't learn about resistance mechanics. So don't think these physical therapists even have a clue when it comes to how they should be training you. Um, and then even if they have a, a master's or doctorate in exercise, phys, exercise science, what I've seen over the last 22 years is that, you know, they've written some great papers. They pass some, you know, hard tests. And when they get out and they get into the real world, they've had no classes with practical application, so they revert back to the same things that they thought worked for them when they were in college or high school. And that's not what's best for kids.
0: I've mm-hmm. got a medical question for you, Jason. Um, sorry, I didn't, sorry to interrupt, Jeff, with that, but he, uh, these kids are being forced to go fast, 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 whether it's the velocity of a pitcher or we're seeing so many oblique injuries with hitters. Um, as as this is happening, to talk to the audience about the importance of deceleration, the, the prime movers uh, stopping the body, because it's like a car. Your car mm-hmm. is only going to go as fast as you can stop it if your your brakes wear out before the gas pedal does. So, And, and if I'm using the wrong analogy, by all means, correct correct it uh, and use your own. But how important is deceleration and the prime movers, as, especially as these kids are being asked to do
2: these ridiculous accelerated movements? Oh, it's a great question. And, you know, you, you can only go as fast as you can control, kind of like sprinting. You know, you can't run any faster than you can run, otherwise you fall down. But a big part of training that's overlooked, and it's, it's an incredibly effective way to train is positional isometrics. So you can be in one position, you know, pushing, you could even go as hard as you can. um, But that's going to be a lot safer for these, especially these young athletes because then we can work on, you know, increasing the bone density, um, their force production, uh, the connective tissues, you know, the growth plates. But if they're doing all this, all this dynamic stuff, you know, all the throwing and swinging, and it's there's no precision in that a three year old could come in and throw a bunch of balls around and, you know, play with water bags. Um, But what they should be working on is very slow controlled movements. So they're generating torque throughout that full range. So what we get obsessed with, especially the strength and conditioning guys, uh, like a bench press or a squat, they think you've got to get from point A to point B, and they don't care what happens in between. You just have to count that many reps. Well, it doesn't matter if you do two reps or 200 reps if they all suck. I remember I had you know coaches that would say, oh, we're going to take 300 swings today. Okay, so when we're tired and develop bad habits, now those stick. But when we're talking about strength training, whether it's uh, barbells, dumbbells, water bags, When you're fatigued, I mean, the, the risk of injury goes up significantly. So I think there needs to be a lot more isometric training. And then, uh, like you're saying, as far as the core training for these young athletes, we need to be working on developing rotational power from the ground up. So not just the direction that we're swinging, but also the other way. So yeah, you're spot on.
0: Good. No, thank, thank you for that. It's been a hot topic this week with a lot of our pitching podcasts and Jeff, sorry to interrupt there. I, I, uh, I, I love what this I love what Jason's saying,
1: No, no problem buddy. um one of the things I noticed when I was playing that uh for the different organizations we always had a strength coach, and they always had different ideas and you know some of them we agreed with some we did, not some <clears throat> excuse me seemed to be over the top and you know teaching us baseball players to lift like football players and all this and i I remember Jason. You, you told me a story about a, a young man that you had worked with, I, I believe, college kid that uh, or high school kid that uh, his co- one of his coaches uh, had him do a, mac, a max, max out doing something. I don't know if it was a deadlift or something like that, and that uh, he injured himself and missed like the entire next season. For what? So that the coach could measure how strong his athletes are getting. And do you remember that story? Remember telling me that story in Texas?
2: Yeah, and I'm more than happy to say that's Lee University in Tennessee. And I talked to a parent, and there's been a lot of um, shoulder injuries and elbow injuries there. And this young man, uh, Malachi, I believe is his name, heard about him from another pitcher. So he he was in the running for freshman of the year in the Gulf South Conference. My athlete, actually, um, he got freshman of the year through 10 complete game shutouts. We did no heavy lifting, no stretching. Um, but this kid, Malachi, at Lee University, So his coach wants him to max out on deadlifts Um, and he ended up hurting his shoulder. He tore his labrum, went back and told the coach what the, what the MRI reading said. And he said, Oh, bummer. So then we've got to think, why are we applying all this heavy load? And not only, you know, that injury that, that hurts, but a lot of the local high schools around here, they're having these kids load up a hex bar, jump up high and then try to stick the landing when they come down. So if you think about it, force equals mass times acceleration. So if you place a five pound weight on your foot, Or drop a five-pound weight on your foot. There's a big difference. And again, I told you, or I said in the presentation, I ripped my pec right off the bone when a coach wanted us to max out. I never would have maxed out for the rest of my life. So again, they just look at what's happening from point A to point B. Um, And over the years, I've had a lot of athletes come in because they were injured by their strength coach. So we've got to think: what is the point of this Olympic lifting? In Venezuela, you know, Cuba, Dominican all these other countries they're not doing that and they're turning out some pretty good ball players so more load equals more stress on the joints so it's a great way to just keep beating up your athletes and it's you know at some point they've got to stop and realize the direction that we're applying force is not the direction we need to apply that force you know on the baseball field
1: yeah that, and I saw, I saw that when my sons were in high school my son would come home from school and say oh we lifted today we had to max out and I was like this in baseball training, baseball weightlifting—you guys are maxing out, and it's like, it did I was like, why? What? I mean, I I never lifted a weight in high school. I'm I'm a pretty old guy, so we. there was kind of, you know, we didn't unless you're on the football team or the the on the wrestling team, you didn't really lift weights, and I didn't really start lifting until junior college. So I didn't do any of that stuff in high school. I was never injured. Um, It wasn't until I started doing more lifting that I started having a few injuries. But you mentioned something about not stretching. Can you talk about that? Do you not believe that guys should be stretching?
2: So when I I bring that up, I don't want to say there's not a place for it. So I'm not damning stretching completely. But in as little as 15 to 20 seconds, depending on how aggressive you are with stretching, you can cause those muscles to shut down. So actually, neurologically, it's called muscle inhibition. And in, in my facility, I'll test it with a, a little dynamometer that'll show you your force output. But we've got to think after you go through all your stretches for your shoulder, you're cranking it back. And then when you start throwing, you don't start throwing 100%. So when you start out throwing light, you're trying to put that muscle tension back into you know, the, the neuromuscular system because muscle stabilize joints. So in baseball, you know we stretch the, just as much, if not more than any other sport. And why are there so many injuries and then you get injured and what do they tell you? Oh, you got to stretch. And then I always say, you know, after all the years of stretching your hamstrings, why aren't they hanging down behind your knees? Because muscles don't actually stretch. So muscle tension is a good thing. And going back to, um, you know, when I played, I had a coach, I could, I could lay my arm. If it was up in front of me, I could externally rotate it and lay it flat on a table and my velocity dropped. Um, When I started lifting heavy, um, you know, I was, I was not as good an athlete as I was used to being. Um, So I dropped down to like low eighties with velocity. And then I went home for the summer, started hitting the weights again, didn't have that range of motion and got back up to the mid nineties. So that was, you know, looking back at at all these experiences and and realizing, wow, what are we doing, you know, to these athletes? Because that stretching, that's a form of stress. And in a lot of positions um, like with your spine and with your shoulder, you're actually causing impingement. So then when you're causing impingement, You're going to shut those muscles down further and then you're going to stress them out when you're throwing and another problem you know going back to what we were just talking about with the heavy lifting we've got a lot of programs where they have the guys do the heavy lifting after they threw so now you have a shoulder and an elbow just the whole arm and probably your back as well and maybe some some of your legs so those are fatigued now from throwing and then we're going to go apply all of this load to it so now what happens is the muscles that are already fatigued those are shut down so then we just build these compensation patterns and every time we apply heavy load like that we cause it to tighten up more and more so it could be at the hips could be at the back or it could be at the shoulder so we've already stressed everything out with throwing and then they go and apply all this heavy load so it's counterproductive on top of counterproductive um so it's yeah it's interesting to see just the lack of progress in baseball in general but we've got to stop the heavy lifting i mean there's there's no point to it
1: well, I, I remember doing, uh, you know, spring training stretching before we worked out every day, and having to do these arm stretches where you you raise your, you pull your, put your hands together, and you pull your elbow behind your head, and all these. And I was like, every single time I did those, it hurt. I was like, yeah. Is there is there a reason why I need to straighten my arm out and pull it across my chest, and it stretches? feels like it hurts in my shoulders. Like, is this really doing anything for me? It didn't seem like it was.
2: And that's what we've, we've got to step back and think about. So with going back to isometrics, simple doesn't sell. So when we talk about, you know, the water bags and the slide boards and things like that um, people just think that we need something new and new and exciting. But I spoke for a international sports group of coaches at the ABCA, and I was, you know, telling them about how with isometrics, we can actually get something called post-activation potentiation. So what that means is after we've kind of neurologically prepped those or applied a little bit of force. So it's kind of the difference between stretching the life out of everything, you know, in your lower body or going out and doing some dynamic activity and, and better preparing, you know, the muscular system. Um, but we've got to think when is enough enough with the range? Um you know, if you look at pitchers and stretching into external rotation, nobody's hand is going back and hitting their butt or the back of their hamstrings because mechanically that's not going to be efficient. So we've got to step back and think, you know, why do we keep cranking on these things? And then if stretching was effective, why do they tighten back up? And that goes back to, you know, muscle stabilized joints. So then not only that, but you you mentioned pulling your arm across your chest. I noticed, you know, I was getting shoulder pain and then I stopped doing that and my shoulder pain went away. And why do you need to reach across your chest in the first place? If there's something, you know, to that left side, if you need to grab, just turn your body and grab it. But yeah, a lot of these stretches are just made up and um, we're not respecting structure. And when we, when we fail to respect structure and function, you know, that's, that's when we expedite the, the road to injury. Yeah.
1: And I see these uh, you know, we've mentioned a
2: few times the,
1: the farm boards or the slide boards or whatever. And I see these, these guys doing these exercises and, you know hitting and their foot sliding backwards or whatever they're doing you know they're they're in their socks and they have these things that are unstable under their feet and they're hitting I'm like it just looks like somebody's going to pull a groin or pull you know injure their hip doing these exercises and and you know I I went back and I've seen a lot of my old videotapes and stuff like that when I hit the ball and my back foot slid out behind me and you know I didn't even realize it did that I never practiced it. It just happened because, you know, from what I understand is that my body had to self-organize and knew that because I was reaching far away, you know, on an outside pitch and my weight was that way, I had to do something to balance myself and my foot naturally went backwards, but I never practiced it. And now I see that these guys teaching this to where every one of their clients is hitting with these things, practicing a scissor kick and you're watching the game and you might see occasionally somebody do that. But it really boggles my mind that these guys think that we need to actually practice doing something that I think happens naturally.
2: Yeah, you're exactly right. And um, when you said kind of your body naturally organizes it that way, that's exactly what's happening. So um, it's like in, when we, when we look at how they're teaching, taking away, uh, friction from the back leg. Um, we're taking away the opportunity to develop power. Um, but when you do it as a a last minute adjustment and hitting as an orchestration, so neurologically, and as an athlete, you know, that you're going to make that, you know, last split second adjustment because that's, what's going to keep you in line with the baseball. But to teach that, not only are we, uh, when we rotate our, our back leg behind us, and then we're trying to rotate, our upper body forwards we're maxing out what are called the facet joints with the spine so i saw one guy comment on i think it was uh, joey kuna's post about the farm boy said wow i really feel this in my back it's like yeah dude you are beating the crap out of your vertebrae and jamming those facet joints and the structure of those dictates how much rotation you get so it's it's ridiculous that you know they try to they try to you know make up these movements um that are really just a last split-second orchestration, just like you said.
1: Yeah, and, and it's, what's really sad is that they show one player doing it in the big leagues. One, And it's always, you know, star player or whatever. And Altuve, his back foot slides out sometimes when he hits. And it's like, hey, we need to teach everybody to do that. Or we see Aaron Judge doing something. And that's what a lot of these social media guys um, cling to. One guy, one guy that they may have worked with, you know, for a brief period of time. And now all of a sudden they're an expert and we're going to teach everybody to do what this guy does. And these guys, they never talk about how exceptional these athletes are and why. There's only, you know, 20, just over 20,000 guys who've played Major League Baseball in the history of the game. It's because these guys can do things that most people cannot do. And it kills me when I see them training young kids who are just trying to learn the sport and have fun um, and hopefully have a little success and trying to teach them to do things that freakish athletes like Aaron Judge and Mike Trout can do. Not everybody can do that stuff.
2: Yeah, and and one thing that I really try to, to get parents to understand, it's not just the, you know, it's not all the best athletes in baseball that we see on TV or in Major League Baseball. It's the ones that lasted the longest. Mm-hmm. So it's a combination of the two. I'm sure as everybody remembers, you know, growing up playing baseball from year to year, one kid's a stud one year, next year he might have growing pains or, you know, threw his back out. So it, it would change from year to year, who threw the hardest, you know, who is hitting the most home runs. So that's, that's one thing that I really want parents to understand is you've got to focus on longevity. So when you're pushing these kids to play 60, 80 games, you know, in the summer at 10, 12 years old, just remember it's, it's not always the best guys you see in the show. It's got to be the ones that lasted the longest. So the more they can prevent that overuse and prevent the maxing out, um, and just, you know, stay away from the instructors that are just making things up. That's how your child is going to continue to play the game.
1: Yeah. I I couldn't agree with you more on that. And it's just these people, I guess they just believe that, uh, and I've heard many people say it. Well, if we don't you know, if we don't start doing this now, he's never going to catch up or she's never going to catch up and always going to be behind. And i like, well, yeah, I think Michael Jordan, um, I think he got cut from his basketball team his junior year and uh, it seemed to work out fine for him. And uh, Steph Curry was, you know, got one D1 scholarship offer out of high school. And I think he's doing all right. But I think there's this, this perception that, if we don't get our kids in now, they're is they're going to be behind. You know, I get people asking me all the time, hey, you do private lessons. You know, somebody that I can, if you don't, you know, somebody you can send me to. I want to get my eight-year-old in hitting lessons. And i just like, he's too young for hitting lessons. Go in the yard and throw him
2: some balls. Let him have fun.
1: That's it. But these people think that they have to do it or their kids are never going to make it.
2: Yeah. And a lot of times we see the the argument, too, of, Oh, well, your kids got to play multiple sports. If that's, if that's the extent of your solution to keep your child injury free and improve their athleticism, that's, that's beyond subpar. There's no reason why you can't take them out there and have them, you know, use a wiffle ball or throw different weight items or, you know, work on being explosive with different movements. So that way, every time they're going through a different, a different movement, um, it's like coordination. So every time, they keep repeating that movement they can build new synapses in the brain and then improve that coordination so it doesn't necessarily have to be a sport it could be you know an activity it could be a type of resistance training that's appropriate for their age um but yeah it's again we've we've just got to do better and parents need to understand that it, for me yeah I, I kept pushing through injuries you know year after year it was it was my my dream to kind of break the cycle of poor and take care of my family and I always made sure to outwork everyone, which, you know, I was probably injured from overuse. Most of it was probably my fault, but the life lessons that I was able to learn from baseball and the relationships that I've made to me, that's, that's the most important. And I can honestly say that, um, you know, even that, even though I was injured most of the time, um, it kept me on track. So we've got to, these parents need to step back and think, you know, think about your kids developing like as a man, as a team player how are they going to function in the workplace? It's not about pushing them to make that special team or throw 80 miles an hour at age 10. Um, you know, they've got to step back and think about what's actually best for their kid.
1: Yeah. And and that's one of the things that I know you've met uh, my buddy, Colonel Flowers, him and I um, really believe, in, and there's a lot more important stuff than, than teaching these kids how to be good athletes. It's more important to teach them how to you know, have good character and integrity and teach them how to be leaders because those are the things that are going to make them good citizens of this country and, and, and good people, husbands and, and fathers. And, and that's what we, him and I like to talk about when we go around and speak and that, you know, the people that are going to make it in this sport are going to make it because they're dedicated, they're gifted and they work at it. It's not you taking him to three lessons a week with some, velocity training coach or some specialized hitting coach, it's going to turn your son into, you know, a big leaguer. It's, there's a lot more to it than that. And I think most of the people don't understand that.
2: A lot of, a lot of it too, is them developing, you know, physically. I mean, it's, it's going to take time. We all peak at different times. Um, I had one, one email come through from a dad who ordered the kinetic arm was way back. When we had our first version he sent me a, a spreadsheet of three days he took his, I think 10 or 11 year old out on the mound, had him throw a hundred percent effort with a radar gun. And he said, my son's not throwing any harder after three days of, you know, throwing hard on the mound, we want a refund. And I wanted to say you're an absolute psychopath. You shouldn't have a radar gun for a 10 or 11 year old. He should be out there, you know, having fun. That's, that's what really should be happening. But there's, I mean, there's parents out there like this and I've had to have, you know, serious discussions in my facility when we have parents that take it too seriously. Um, You know, just so I'd like for parents to hear this story. We had a a kid, Ed White, that went to um, my high school. He was around – he was between my two older brothers' age. Um, His dad rode him hard. I remember, you know, seeing him at the Little League Park. His dad, you know, yelling at him by the dugout. Um, So long story short, you know, he kept putting pressure on this kid in high school. um, Ended up taking his life. So I want parents to remember that, you know, there's no reason to push that hard and think, would you you rather have your kid – you know throwing as hard as he can making whatever team and then one day possibly not being there or i mean these are these are serious things that can happen so um i think a lot of these parents need to back off
1: yeah i think parents are definitely the problem in youth sports i think uh, for a, in a lot of areas as far as putting pressure on kids and mistreating coaches and umpires and i don't know when it got so crazy but uh, I remember when I was growing up playing Little League and I didn't feel any pressure. You know, I just wanted to go play and be around my buddies. And that, that's when I developed a love for the game. And never do I ever remember in my entire life being told that I have to go out and practice, that I have to do this. I did it because I wanted to get better and I loved it. Nobody forced me. And I think parents are making a huge mistake when they're forcing their kids to do something they turn it into a job and then it's not fun for the kids and they're going to quit. And I think we see way too much of that in new
2: sports. Yeah, I agree. I hope, um, I think we're seeing more, more camps pop up that are, I guess for underprivileged, um, you know, inner city, things like that, that are, you know, helping with development and getting exposure. Cause it's almost turning into like a, a country club sport. I know in the Atlanta area, a lot of these teams are, Four or five thousand dollars, you know, for one season of travel ball, and I'll ask the parents, you know, oh, how much, you know, coaching and development do they get, and they're not getting any. So really, they're just, you know, it's just a pay-to-play. And um, I think, similar to the fitness industry, because there's no barriers to entry, I think people just see it as a money grab and they see a way that they can profit off of it, and that's it's really disappointing. I think there's no integrity in that. Um, I showed in my presentation, I've had, you know, a lot of big name athletes, a lot of world champions in multiple sports. By no means do I take credit for any of their success, but you know, a lot of those athletes were incredible, but they can't teach at all. So that's another thing that we've got to step back and think, you know, just because somebody was at that level or, you know, maybe somebody didn't even play up until high school and now they're getting out the pool noodles and the, the water bags. Um, but yeah, I just I just really think that everyone needs to take a, a hard a big step back and take a hard look and ask the honest questions. You know, is this guy qualified to give lessons? Um, you know, what is the benefit of putting up all this money for extra lessons? Does my does my son or daughter even want to do this?
1: Yeah, and I see that a lot too. I see the uh you know the the organizations that have these you know, Four or five thousand dollars a season, and then they they say, "Well, you can only train uh, in our facility with our instructors because they don't want that money going somewhere else out to an, another instructor. They want to keep it all in house." And it doesn't say anything about if these guys are qualified. They just happen to work for that program and that facility, so they want to keep those guys, keep the money in house, and not having it go out somewhere else. And for the most part, I mean, I don't I don't think these kids need all this private instruction anyway, and definitely not before high school, let them play sports, let them have fun. And if they excel and they get to a point where they may need some um, special instruction as far as mechanics or things like that, that's fine. But, you know, eight year olds going and having pitching lessons or hitting lessons and doing these things to me is absolute waste of money and time for these, these kids.
2: And just so the parents understand exactly what you're saying, as these kids are growing, you'll see that sometimes their, their arm slot might change. The way they run is going to change. Neurologically, they're still developing. So if you're trying to, you know, force a change in an arm slot or a change in the way they run or throw, you got to remember their brain is trying to orchestrate the most efficient solution for that movement based on what's available that day. And that's constantly changing. So as they go through growing pains or maybe they were out running around riding their bikes, things are going to be tired. So that's a big reason, you know, that we like the kinetic arm on kids because it's not going to let their arm lag behind. It's not going to let it climb up. So it is going to help them create a more efficient arm path. But um, that's what we have to realize is these kids are still developing. So the way they throw and the way they run and hit, it's going to continue to change because if something's, you know, overused because they were playing another sport or wrestling around, you know, just being kids, um, you know, their brain is going to figure out a, a way to compensate. And again, if, if the way that you want them to move, this is a big problem with motion capture as well. So this is great for the, the parents that are paying, you know, three, four, five thousand $5,000 for a motion capture assessment. They tell you, oh, your arm slot dropped. Okay. Is that the glenohumeral joint? Is it the scapula being up and down? Is it lateral flexion? You know? one side so just because you're paying all this money to see how you're moving it doesn't even tell you why you're moving that way and again that can change too and that's what i see with a lot of these uh you know big name places and remote training programs um they don't even know what they're looking at and then they're giving them these these exercise uh you know these workouts with a heavy load and every time they're applying that heavy load it's tightening up a joint and then they're trying to make up for that range somewhere else up the chain so whether it's kids that are still neurologically developing and trying to figure it out or older athletes that have now, you know, had the stress trauma and overuse and they have these compensations, um, you know, we've got to remember that just because they're not moving how you want them to doesn't mean that that range is available or it's, you know, it's a good idea to go there. And that's fascinating. it's,
1: uh, I didn't, I didn't really realize that people were paying that kind of money for those types of deals and, and that, uh. A lot of the people that, you know, are running these, these facilities probably have no clue what they're looking at, but yet people are paying these ridiculous amounts of money to go, you know, get all this fancy stuff done.
2: Yeah. And I would, I mean, I'll, I'll gladly say um, any facility, any, um, you know, research group, put your, put your picture through an assessment with everyone on your staff and then I'll show you every single thing that you missed. Wow. Yeah. They I'd love to might- do it. <laughs> I'd love to do it on, on stage and, you know, on a, a public forum, however it may be, um, you know, that includes the ASMI that includes, um, you know, any big name program, put an athlete through your assessment because I've seen what they are. I know every single thing that they're missing and they're so far off from an accurate assessment of what these athletes are capable when they got on that mound and through in that facility or went through the hitting assessment. So I always, I, I'd love to put that out there. You know, let's get the the smartest guys, you know, all the PhDs, all the, the motion capture biomechanists, go through an assessment with an athlete and I'll show you every single thing that you missed. I don't think they would like that, Jason. <laughs> I would love it because I, I think we need the accountability and we need to bring integrity back. So um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to pump that out there. And I think we could have a lot of fun with it. And I think uh, a lot of feelings would be hurt, but it would make parents and coaches understand um, you know that everything you're paying for, we're still seeing the injury rate go up. So what good is it?
1: Yeah, it's no good. No good. Well, you know what, Jason, I, uh, I know you have a meeting at four thirty. This has been amazing. I, um, I'd really like you to tell our listeners where they can go, um, to purchase the kinetic arm sleeve and, uh, to, you know, to learn anything they, <clears throat> excuse me, anything that, uh, would be beneficial to them on your sites or whatever. Just uh, plug the kinetic
2: arm sleeve and uh, to our listeners, please. Thanks. So we've we've got some great information on uh, thekineticarm.com. Uh, we've got some good research, some good case studies. Mm-hmm. If any any parents or coaches need help with sizing for an individual or team order, um, team orders will make it easy. Just shoot us over, you know, height, weight, right or left. We'll plug in the right size. And um, if I can be of any help, you know, with um, more episodes or, or anything on the educational side, especially for coaches, please don't hesitate to reach out, but any message, just shoot it through the dot com, and I'd love to help out and, you know, keep these athletes safe and injury free.
1: Awesome. Awesome. And I have, uh, I have to talk to you after the show, maybe the next couple of days about, uh, all these people that are reaching out to me wanting to know about the kinetic arm sleeve and we got to hook them up with, uh, you know, where, where they can go and buy it and get in touch with you if you sizing and things like that. So I do That's appreciate fun. you coming on here and I, I uh, love to have you on another time. Thank you, Dave, um, for another great show and all you do. And I'm sure you have uh, a few things to mention about our sponsors before we leave.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much, Jeff. Great show as usual. And Jason, that was eye-opening. Uh, we We appreciate you coming on. And could you let everybody know where they can reach you on social media also?
2: Yeah. And all our social media, it's uh, at the kineticarm.com. And then on the performance side, if you're ever passing through Atlanta and want to get you know an accurate assessment, uh, it's eliteajatl.com. And we've got a sports performance page on there as well. So any questions, I'm more than, more than happy to help out.
0: Okay. And we'll tag all that on, on this show as well. Uh, your Facebook, Instagram, all that too. And our audience is very sophisticated. So I know the eight-up uh, what you guys had to talk about today. And and thank you both for letting me interject. Uh, I was into this show, took tons of notes. Audience, thank you, 65,000 and growing. Thanks for your support. Keep pumping us for those two awards. Uh, we're excited to be nominated baseball podcast of the year to Jaw Bats. She gone at checkout, we'll get you a discount. Uh, and Jeff corrected me, he did get a double, just wasn't off the wall down there. And In, in uh, Fantasy Camp, Tanner's using his M110 model, lefty and righty loves it. And uh, to millions, our newest marketing partner, thank you for taking a load off of my plate here. And uh, with that, Jeff, I just want to let you guys know $1 billion spent last year in injured pitchers in Major League Baseball. So we think we got a problem, right?
1: I'd say so. I'd say. Just so. a little.
0: <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but I'll let you close out your show here.
1: Yes. Uh, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you, Jason, for coming on. And uh, I, I look forward to uh, building. Our friendship and uh, anything I can do to help you along the way, I will certainly do that. I think you probably, in the short time we've known each other, um, know that I'm a man of my word. So uh, anything I can do to help you and your lovely wife, you let me know. And uh, thank you for taking the time out today. And I look forward to working with you in the future.
2: Jeff, David, thank you guys very much. It was great being on the show.
1: Awesome. Well, this is a, a great show. I appreciate it. Um, this is Jeff Fry signing off for the She Gone Podcast. She gone.
0: She has gone. She's gone. She's gone. Oh, I.
1: Oh, I. I She's gone. She's gone. Oh, I. Oh, I. I She's gone. She's gone.